Hello, my name is Claire Heffron, and welcome to the Geneva Centre for Security Policy podcast on the latest issues advancing peace, security and international cooperation. We spoke to Richard Gowan, UN Director at the International Crisis Group. He shares with us the threats and opportunities for Europe to meet the current crisis of multilateralism, and we discuss the regional dimensions of Azerbaijan's foreign policy in the wider Caspian region with foreign policy advisor to the President of the Republic of Azerbaijan. The European Union describes multilateralism as having the UN at its core. It is the cornerstone of the EU's foreign and security policy and is the best way to ensure peace, security, human rights and prosperity. Richard Gowan, co-author of Three Crises and an Opportunity, Europe's Stake in Multilateralism, explained to us the benefits, risks and challenges ahead. Firstly, you believe that there are three related crises. What are they? You hear a lot of diplomats talking about a crisis of multilateralism, but that's a rather vague phrase. I think there are three crises. There's a crisis of power, because the US, China, and to some extent Russia, are really competing to control the multilateral system. There's a crisis of relevance, because the UN doesn't have frameworks for dealing with emerging technologies like AI. And there's a crisis of legitimacy, because the UN isn't dealing with the public's concerns about inequality or perhaps migration in the way that they want. The situation also represents an opportunity for European influence. What options are there for Europe to defend multilateral action and in which areas? European diplomats save multilateralism day to day. If you look at an organisation like the UN, you'll find that the EU's members uh, convene about four-fifths of the working groups around the General Assembly. And for this year's Climate Action Summit in New York, uh, EU members were leading about a third of the working groups preparing for the summit. EU diplomats do multilateralism out of habit, and they're also innovating. We've seen France and Germany launch a new alliance for multilateralism, which has led 60 countries to sign up to new pledges around uh, cyber, and international humanitarian law. So the EU can push back against a a very difficult anti-multilateralist tide. What potential partnerships should be sought that could build new coalitions for multilateral action in an era of turbulence and unpredictability? I think 15 or 20 years ago, European diplomats that imagined that in the end, every country would sign up to liberal values and every country would follow policies similar to the EU. We know that's not true. We've got to work with other countries on a case-by-case basis. So it's essential to work with China on climate change, even if we can't agree on human rights. Uh, It's essential to work with Islamic countries um, in terms of protecting the Muslim minority in Myanmar, even if we have differences over values. We live in an age where you need to be pragmatic, uh, not too principled for your own good. What is the impact on the EU and its role? The overwhelming threat to the multilateral system today is the emergence of bipolar competition between Beijing and Washington. Now that doesn't start in the multilateral system. That starts in the economic sphere, that starts in the security sphere in the Pacific. But if Beijing and Washington uh, are increasingly strategic competitors, that will lead them to treat the UN and other multilateral forums as battlefields where they vie for advantage. And we're already seeing that even now in the Security Council, 
um, on issues like Afghanistan. What countries do they need to focus on? The EU has to work with different coalitions on different sets of problems. So one area where the EU needs to focus a lot of strategic attention and to some extent military attention is dealing with terrorism and disorder in the Sahel. But to do that, the Europeans need to work with countries in the region like Nigeria um, or Niger to find sustainable strategies to contain um, jihadi groups. Conversely, the EU needs to work with technologically advanced countries uh, to set new standards on uh, artificial intelligence, cyber and other new technologies. Now that means working with a completely different set of countries, including Asian countries, that have expertise in those areas. There's no one-size-fits-all group for the EU. Macron said at the recent NATO summit in London that NATO is brain-dead. What are the implications do you see from this? I think that whatever President Macron says, NATO will continue to play a crucial role, uh, just as it did in the Cold War, as the centre for territorial defence of Europe, although clearly political tensions with countries like Turkey make that harder. What I think President Macron has recognised, especially in his talk about the need for outreach to Russia, is that you cannot sustain a global multilateral system if big powers are not willing to sit down and talk about their differences. And we know that the big powers of today are going to disagree on many issues, but if all they do is go to the Security Council and shout at each other, or meet in UN disarmament committees and shout at each other, then that doesn't make us any safer. So we at least have to look for spaces of cooperation. And finally, what's your advice to future EU leaders? In 2020, uh, EU leaders will most probably have to deal with the much-delayed reality of Brexit. And in the multilateral sphere, Brexit is going to be a problem because the UK has been at the centre of European diplomacy in organisations like the UN for many years. We need to find some sort of framework that allows the EU27 and the British to continue to work together on multilateral problems. Um, Because on its own, the UK will lose influence, and without the UK, the European Union will have uh, less expertise and and fewer political networks to bank on in organisations like the UN. Earlier, we spoke to Hikmat Hajayev, foreign policy advisor to the president of Azerbaijan. He gave us insight into Azerbaijan's current foreign policy initiatives and its relationship with the wider community, including its neighbours in the Caucasus region. Firstly, what are Azerbaijan's foreign policy initiatives? Azerbaijan's foreign policy, first of all, based on the key fundamental principles. And Azerbaijan's foreign policy approach, we have in a security consciousness or security based on foreign policy. In a sense, our foreign policy should also serve Azerbaijan's security, strengthening its independence and also providing its territorial integrity. And Azerbaijan foreign policy also based on the principles of the norms and uh, principles of international law and also charter of the United Nations. And in our foreign policy approach, we always guided by the predictability, transparency and openness. And we also appreciate uh, effective uh, partnership and cooperation with the partnering countries. And now transforming it into the uh, priorities of Azerbaijan foreign policy, first priority we should highlight 
Azerbaijan's, uh, restoring Azerbaijan's territorial integrity and sovereignty within its internationally recognized borders as a fundamental principle for Azerbaijan. Because Azerbaijan is suffering more than 25 years occupation of its territories, and more than 1 million Azerbaijanis are become uh, refugees and IDPs as a result of this occupation. So that through the negotiation process, resolving of this conflict and providing Azerbaijan territorial integrity is must. And second key priority for Azerbaijan, it's in a development of cooperation or bilateral cooperation uh, with the neighboring and regional countries. And uh, development of uh, cooperation with the neighboring countries is also one of the uh, you know, priorities for all countries, and including for Azerbaijan. And in that domain, I can proudly say that Azerbaijan has managed to build mutually beneficial cooperation and partnership, including at the level of strategic partnership, with all its neighbors, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Georgia, which are the land borders of Azerbaijan, but Azerbaijan have an excellent relations. What about your relationship with the EU and the international community? And therefore, uh, developing of Azerbaijan cooperation with the European Union and individual EU countries, with the United States, after the Brexit with the Great Britain, which is a uh, United Kingdom, is an important partner of Azerbaijan, and also China, Japan, South Korea, and also through the regional prism with African countries and Latin American countries are the important priorities for Azerbaijan. We also see it in the multilateral platforms as well. Azerbaijan, we see an assumed chairmanship of non-aligned movement. Azerbaijan, a couple of uh, days ago, hosted summit of the non-aligned movement after UN General Assembly is one of the biggest gathering. And it shows that there is a confidence, respect by international community to Azerbaijan that Azerbaijan rendered uh, with a chairmanship position. And then multilateral diplomacy. Because uh, we do believe, uh, being a, a geographically small country, we do believe there are multilateral diplomacy. And so multilateral diplomacy, we do also believe that we can find a solution to the common problems of the, uh, related to the international peace, security, and sustainable development as well. Therefore, Azerbaijan actively engaged with international and regional institutions. What are the new threats and challenges? Elements of radicalism and extremism, and also geographically, South Caucasus is very close to new hotbeds of the conflicts in the wider Middle East region. Besides, all issues can potentially affect uh, security uh, in the region of the South Caucasus as well. But uh, we are working with our partner uh, countries on that issue as well. And finally, your advice to future leaders. As uh, for the future diplomats, my friendly uh, you know, recommendation would be for them to believe in rule of law, in international affairs. And the rule of law, it's not only a matter within the states, it should also be a matter within the states and among the states as well. Unfortunately, we see diminishing application of the rule of law-based approach in international affairs. And challenges and risks are increasing. And also, we also see that international institutions and their practicality and functionality are somehow decreasing. And therefore, along with the rule of law, believing in multilateralism, there is no single solution of the global challenges and difficulties. And also my uh, friendly advice to my uh, future colleagues of the diplomats would be, uh, before uh, when we started in a diplomacy, our major focus was on humanitarian sciences, theory of international relations, history of international relations, legal aspects, but now agenda of the diplomacy is growing. Now artificial intelligence, is coming to the fore of the diplomacy as well. Tomorrow, as a country, we should think about that as well, making the common convention, or pollution of the space. 
I can share my own experience. Uh, when I was a foreign uh, ministry spokesperson of Azerbaijan foreign ministry, I was in my position as demanded I should make a statement about the nuclear power plant in neighboring country. So but to make a statement about the nuclear power plant, it's a potential risks to our region, I was obliged to study a little bit nuclear physics. Imagine diplomats studying the nuclear physics. But in the future, but we should accept it, and therefore we should have future diplomats, and including the current ones, should have much broader approach to the international issues and other participants. That's all for today's podcast for the GCSP. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Richard Gowan for joining us, along with Hikmat Hijaya. Join us again next week to hear all the latest insights on international peace and security. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until then, bye for now.